Welcome to the Explore podcast from EF Pro Cycling. Veronica Ewers and Owain Duell join us for this episode where we discuss mental health. Trigger warning, we do briefly mention suicide. Owain and Veronica talk about the ups and downs they've experienced with mental health, both as individuals and as professional athletes. We cover everything from the importance of being open about the times they struggled, the ways in which they take care of themselves, how becoming a parent has changed Owain's outlook, and the importance of community. So join us on this ride as we explore the world of cycling together. My name is Catherine Ezra, and this is the Explore Podcast. Yeah, so what did we do? My partner went to the gym early this morning, so I was on dad duty. Then I did four hours on my bike, rushed back. Then she had to go to the dentist, so that's where she is now. And then dad duty, and then, yeah, dad duty again. So <laughs> mixing it up. It's almost like a relay race all day, it sounds like, where the baby's the baton you're passing off. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> Veronica, how about you? What are you up to today? Yeah, just did my ride and then uh, currently we'll have some pumpkin banana bread in the oven because, you know, fall. Good. Good living. <laughs> yeah. If only we could get the sense through a podcast. <laughs> oh, I know. Amazing. <laughs> I went a bit crazy with finding pumpkin in the store because pumpkin puree isn't very common here. I don't know if it is in the UK, but in the States you can get it in a can. And so I've been making my own pumpkin puree, but it takes a while because then I have to get the Probably pumpkin. Probably can get it somewhere in the UK, but yeah. I've never seen it, but I've never gone looking for it also. Yeah, that's fair. How's everybody's off-season been going so far? Or has the off-season finished already? Yeah, completely done for me. I've been back on the bike for coming up to two weeks. Just very chilled. Lots of family time. Time of the one. So I can't ask for much more. And Veronica, how about you? Yeah, I'm starting up again as well. Did my first round of intervals today, which were not crazy hard intervals, but it was nice to get some efforts in. Oh, wait, have you been on the track, it looks like, from your social media? Yeah, I've been back on the track. Just bits and bobs. It's, it's just in the UK this time of year, the weather's quite hit and miss, so being indoors and being able to ride a bike is a bit of a blessing. So, yeah, back on the track. Fair enough. Oh, wait, I know I assume something you can else. Hear her. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she, she's our youngest guest. <laughs> so, what does your daughter think of your mustache? I think she's a bit confused by the mustache, to be honest, because her granddad also has a mustache. So, I'm not sure if she thinks I'm currently her granddad, Malcolm, or her dad. But I think she supports it. I think she, she prefers it more than, than my partner does. So. <laughs> <laughs> So tell us then why have you been growing a mustache this November? So yeah, I guess in for me, November is always synonymous with November. And yeah, much to my partner's disdain, every uh, November I'll grow my mustache out. And it's kind of for me to raise awareness and kind of pay, play a small part in men's mental health. November um, also is a prostate cancer as well. But for me, the, the big goal and the big thing is is men's mental health and suicide prevention specifically. So it's always an important thing to me. And where did your interest in men's mental health and suicide prevention come from? I guess probably th- quite a hard way. I lost one of my best friends just a few years ago to, uh, to suicide. Um, and I think I'd always be aware and conscious of men's mental health before from my own experiences. 
but you know losing one of my best friends really really brought it home and from that kind of point on the feelings and the emotions I went through I kind of I wanted to try and make some form of difference however big or small that could be because I never wanted if I in my head I thought if I can stop that from happening to another person and another set of friends another family from going through what we went through as a group if I didn't try and make some kind of difference to that yeah I wouldn't be able to live myself so it's a cause really close to my heart Thanks for sharing. I'm really sorry for your loss, but it's incredible that you've really worked to find an opportunity in this pain and grief that you've experienced. Yeah, and I think any type of loss, any type of grief, any type of pain, after a while, there's always going to be a stage where you want to try and do something positive with that. And for me, November is just such a good outlet for that. Um, it kind of rolls around every year and I think, right, what can I do this year to try and raise awareness or whether that's or try and raise funds towards November? So yeah, for me, it's it's the yeah a perfect it's it's cathartic in a way, I guess. And Veronica, earlier this season, you were in the Explore film called Finding Balance, where you talked a bit about your experience with mental health and your journey there. So, what made you keen to be so open about this topic? Similar to Wayne, I think it's really important to be open and honest about our mental health, and I think being open and honest about it will remove the taboo that is sort of been developed around mental health and being open and honest about your own mental health. And I don't think it's something that we need to hide because obviously it can lead to serious outcomes if you hold it in and if you don't have that openness with others about it. And yeah, I think it's just really important to, I don't know, be open about it and speak out on how you're feeling because then you can find that support system. And most definitely there will be somebody else that can relate and can also find comfort in, I guess, similar struggle and find a community within that struggle. And so you can have sort of accountability with whomever may share that struggle or people that just genuinely love and care about you can be there to support you and you can support others in their struggles. I think it's really important what Owen is doing because I have male family members that have grown up knowing or being told that they need to keep a straight face, be stoic, not show emotion. And recently I've had family members who I've been open to sort of, or male family members open up a bit more because of my openness. And I find that really, I don't know, I, I'm really happy to have maybe played a small part in their opening up with their emotions. And I think it's really important that they feel comfortable and confident seeking help and that there's no shame in it. It sounds like you're both really focused on the idea of reducing stigma. And Ronica, you mentioned the word taboo. I'm wondering in the Peloton, is mental health a taboo subject? Is it something that's openly discussed, freely discussed? Or is it something that there's still a bit of stigma around? I haven't really seen much stigma around it. I think, I mean, I'm still quite new into the Peloton and I've been really fortunate to come into the Peloton when it's been progressed so significantly on the women's equality front, as well as even mental, the mental health side. When I was playing soccer in college, I would say it was a bit more taboo. And I think that was just the time. But since 
I can't believe it's been almost 10 years since I graduated college, but I think in that time between me playing soccer in college and coming to now, there's been such a huge movement and progression into destigmatizing mental health. And yeah, I really don't see it as an issue or something being taboo in the Peloton. I think a lot of people are really open to it and it's very celebrated when people are open and honest about their mental health. And it's also really common for people to have sports psychologists. And that has been proven to improve a lot of people's performances. I mean, is the men's Peloton as open as the women's sounds like it is? Um, I think it's hard to sell. I think there's probably still a lot of pressures and which come with cycling and being a professional athlete, which probably aren't spoken about enough. And I think it's definitely getting a lot better from when I turned professional versus now. The amount of people you hear, you know, whether that's stopping their careers for their own mental health and recognizing that they need to step away because it's it's an unhealthy environment for them. But maybe retiring earlier than is what is traditional. So I think it's definitely getting better. I think teams are also getting better. This year with the men's team, we, we, we had access to a, a psychologist for the first time. And I think other teams are starting to do that as well now. So I, I think it's definitely getting better, but I think there's still a long way to go, if I'm honest. But that's that's also in society. I think there's a long way to go on a lot of things. But I think as long as everything's heading in the right direction, then it's important and it, it's positive. As athletes, are there challenges that either of you have faced being an athlete in regards to your mental health? In what ways has being a professional cyclist affected either positively or negatively at times your mental health yeah for sure and I think one thing after watching um the video you did Veronica one thing I resonated with a lot was was that loneliness when I kind of first turned professional I was living in out in the south of France in Nice for a couple of years and I was there purely to ride my bike and I I loved it in a sense I loved that kind of monastic lifestyle of just going out getting it done nothing else and I didn't want anything else but at the same time I was so so lonely it really hit me hard and especially towards the end of that period living out there I wasn't in a great place you buy into it because you know it's or you think it's going to be the best thing for you of just kind of keeping your head down and doing your work but it's really hard it is really hard and yeah that's one thing I took from the video you said which resonated with me so much. Thanks. Yeah, I think it's very easy to fall into the habit of getting the work done. And it's almost praised to be so determined that you are only focusing on your sport. And I think that can go into the extremes. And that's kind of where I fell into last year of just you know, head down, getting the work done, not socializing because I needed to get to bed on time, saying no to certain events because I needed to prioritize whatever with training. And yeah, you fall into that loneliness. And I think finding the balance is really important in being able to live a life that includes socializing and being a human. And then being able to also be a professional, but you, I mean, this job, like any job requires sacrifices and it's just being able to balance that, which is something that I'm still continuing to learn and work on. But yeah. And I think also when 
it comes to pressure, that can also play an impact in mental health and how we as athletes can perform under pressure. I think what's really exciting about this next year is that there will be a bit more, at least for me individually, there will be a bit more of a balance of specific times I need to feel the pressure and then other times where I need to feel a little bit less pressure. So I think moving into this next year, I'm feeling a bit more positive on that front because I won't feel, I'll be able to breathe with a bit less intense pressure. And I think I've, I'm in a really privileged position within my career as a professional cyclist because I don't have necessarily the results of a top cyclist that has the expectation of winning every time. I think, I mean, it was a pretty unfortunate situation for her, but Marlon Reuser at the world's time trial just got off and said, you know, I'm done. I'm not a machine. And I think that was a really amazing point to see as a colleague and a of hers in some way, because it's like, yeah, we're all human and we all have this need to perform well. And yeah, I think it's, it was just, yeah, I think the pressure just plays a huge, a huge role in uh, our mental health. I think just coming back to, to one thing you said before then is getting that balance of having time when you know you can switch off. But at the same time, the, the danger of the sport now is that everything is so much more serious. Everything is 10 times more scrutinized focus in every single aspect of being a professional athlete than when I first turned professional. The things you could used to be able to do and still be able to perform at a high level, they're gone now. And I think that's the kind of the dangerous place cycling's getting to is the demands and the expectations. And, it, and it's, it's not like the teams are now saying you have to do this, you have to do that. But if you want to be successful, if you want to be able to compete at the highest level, those are the sacrifices you have to make yourself. And, you know, I, I know in a lot in the men's peloton, a lot's been made about the age guys are turning professional now. You know, guys coming straight up the juniors when they're 18, 19. And the big question is how long their careers are going to be. And, you know, that, that question still kind of hasn't been answered because it's that kind of current generation now. But it's, yeah, it's kind of... Uh, it's an interesting one, I guess, because, yeah, the demands are getting are getting higher and mental health is getting spoke about more. And at some point, I feel like they're going to there's going to be a crossover. Yeah, it's interesting. You've, you've both kind of mentioned that teams are investing more in resources and that individuals like yourselves are becoming more and more willing to talk openly about their experiences with mental health. But at the same time, you're also under more pressure, more intensity, more scrutiny. And so, for example, Veronica, it sounds like you've, you're trying to find ways to manage that pressure. So for next season, you're already looking at it in terms of sort of probably blocks in which this is, you know, a priority block. This is a high intensity stress period, but also it's only X number of days or it's only for these specific race days. And then after that, there'll be a time when things can kind of calm down. So you know that it's finite as opposed to staying at that high level of pressure and stress nonstop where it just becomes a, almost a, a routine that you get stuck in. So it does sound like it's this contradiction at the same time of while there is more pressure, it sounds like it's also, like you said, Owain, becoming more and more recognized that teams and individuals need to contribute to, to help and make things 
easier and sustainable for our cyclists, but also just for you to continue to be humans. Like you said, Veronica, just to see that human moment when Roycer stepped off her bike and said, no, I'm not racing today. That was a pretty powerful moment. Absolutely. I mean, also, Veronica, you broke your collarbone at the Tour de France Femme this year on stage six. And that was, I know that was a really devastating time for you. How did that injury, because this was the first time you'd broken your bone, how did that injury and that recovery process interconnect with your mental health? It was tough, that's for sure. And I think because the following day was kind of the day I was working up toward the entire season. And then it all, it happened on one of those days I just had to get through safely. So that's always really unfortunate. Yeah, I think I was pretty low for quite some time after that, just given the timing. I think that was the hardest part because of what would be happening the next day. And then there was a lot of back and forth with my coach about if my season was over or if I would try and keep going for one more race. And we ultimately decided that it would just be better to call that the season and look forward. So I think having the support around me from my coach and then also friends here in Girona and anyone and everyone that helped me during that time, that was really massive. And that helped me get out of sort of that, that space. I think having a coach that really wants the rider to be happy and healthy is a game changer. And he and I have are very open and honest about particularly how I'm feeling. And he's been really patient with me through everything. And he sort of helped me get through that low point to look forward and you know, get out of that hole knowing that I'll have opportunities in the future. And yeah, maybe I could have done well on the Tourmalet, but we'll see how I can do on uh, the Alpe d'Huez this next year. <laughs> so it sounds like you kind of took the opportunity and used it to kind of change your mindset because your injury, your recovery process was the same no matter what your outlook was, but sort of once you knew, okay, I don't have to, I don't have to race the rest of the season now. I can just recover. That probably took some pressure off you. And while I'm sure that you did not enjoy just sitting at home twiddling your thumbs, I'm sure also it did just kind of let you relax and let your guard down and, and relieve that pressure. So the next question then is, I know at the beginning of the off season you injured your foot. What was sort of your approach then? <laughs> how, how did that injury, like mentally, compare to after having broken your collarbone, the Tour de France in the summer? Uh, it, it was uh, frustrating. And I think it, in some ways, was a bit worse because I entered the off season hoping to get some running in, did one run was fine, second run turns out I fractured my heel. And I think it wasn't just the injury that was the problem. I mean, that was frustrating because that prevented me from being able to do things that I had wanted to do in the off season, like going on hikes and exploring Girona and on foot or doing things around Girona. But it also sort of gave me a wake up call into needing to prioritize my physical health as well. 
And I think that sort of threw me into another (laughs) hole and just feeling like I can't catch a break. And then of course you fall into that guilt of feeling sorry for yourself because you're like, I don't even have it bad right now. But then you have friends that are like, oh, but it's different. You can, you can be upset, but you can also understand that it's not that bad. And so it's a lot of that dialogue internally, but I think I'm able to ride my bike, which is great. And I'm fortunate to be able to do that. But again, it's just really important to have that social support or just friends and family that you can connect with to help you through those moments. I tend to isolate myself when I'm struggling and then having friends and family that sort of force you out of that is really important. Elaine, has that kind of been your experience and that having friends and family around to help and to ask for help? that's been a supportive thing for when you've been going through tough times in your career or just your personal life? Yeah, massively. And I think um, from the experience of, I'd say prior to losing Sean a couple of years ago, discussing my mental health was something I never did. I was, you're kind of your stereotypical bloke, keep everything bottled in, don't speak about it at all. And then after losing Sean, I guess my focus on it shifted in terms of understanding the the importance of speaking about my own mental health, but also taking more of an interest in my friends and my family's mental health. And it, it, you know, anything with that is, it's always a two-way discussion. So when you start inquiring about other people's mental health, you naturally speak about your own as well and your own experience. So yeah, for sure. I think now as bad as that process was, and you know, as much as it still hurts me to this day, that's one positive thing myself and also my friendship group can take from losing Sean is that we're so much more aware of our own mental health and our friends and family's mental health. And I think because of that, we're a lot more open and, and supportive of each other. Veronica, have you found it hard at times to ask for help? Yeah, I have, which is a bit hypocritical because I will tell friends and family to reach out if they need help, but I'm learning to do it more. I mean, it's just human. I think it's pretty common also for athletes to sort of hold themselves to one standard and to have more generous and forgiving standards for friends and family and loved ones. So I definitely don't think you're alone in that. But I think also part of it is people can be really hesitant to talk about mental health because they're afraid to appear quote unquote weak or vulnerable, or they're just afraid of what the reaction is going to be. So even though it has been hard to ask for help at times, has it ever felt empowering or encouraging or healing to ask for help to share your experiences? Veronica? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's very healing to just let it out at times. As I mentioned before, I've had some family issues that have come up within the last couple of months. And I think having a particular individual that I've opened up to recently and he's opened up to me and I think being able to be vulnerable with someone can bring you closer to that person and he is one of those people that has grown up feeling that he needs to keep it all in and I think being vulnerable with him allowed him to feel that he could be particularly vulnerable with me and I think it would be it was healing for both of us and though 
we may not be struggling with the same exact thing. There's definitely an underlying depression, anxiety that falls in there. And so I think it's comforting knowing that we have each other to, you know, have when we're struggling. And I think for him particularly, it's, it's nice to have an outlet and somebody that he can reach out to because I don't think he would reach out to anyone else, to be honest. Yeah, it's important to be able to make those connections for your own sake and for other people's sake as well. That also makes me think, though, you were saying it's important that, you know, other people have that outlet. For a lot of people, an outlet is going and riding your bike. It's, you know, leaving the nine to five behind, you know, getting a bit of a break from friends, family, society, everything, and just going out and riding your bike. That's a mental health break for a lot of people. But when riding your bike is your job, does it still feel like a break, like a breath of fresh air when you ride your bike? Or does that get lost as an occupational hazard? I mean, I think it depends on the day. Some days I wake up and I'm just not wanting to ride my bike, but I know that I have to do it. And then other days I feel great. And I think it can change too. Some days I wake up and I'm like, oh, I really don't want to ride today. But then I'll be out on the bike and I feel great and it's lovely outside. And I find something that makes me love being on the bike that day. And then other days I just finish and I'm glad that I finished. Yeah, I'm exactly the same. I think some of the days when my morale has been the lowest and my drive to want to do that certain training session or that certain ride, yeah, the lowest and I end up finishing at the highest. It's It can be so hit and miss, but I think it's it's a really good point to raise that, yeah, for a lot of people, exercise and specifically cycling is their outlet of having time for themselves to think um, and kind of work on their mental health. But it's kind of a double-edged sword when it's also your job and a lot of the pressure on your, your mental health comes from riding a bike. So it's hard to separate the the passion and the joy of riding a bike versus um, the demands of it sometimes. So how do you take care of your mental health when riding a bike isn't always a go-to option? Owen, how do you take care of yourself then the rest of the year? It's a good question. and something, if I'm honest, I'm still trying to work out quite a lot of the time. I'm really lucky that I have an, an amazing partner who supports me in everything I do. And we're really open about our mental health, both of us. And that's kind of been a bedrock of our relationship for a long time. We both recognize that it's never straightforward, it's never easy. You know, it's, it's never plain sailing. But conversation is always what gets, gets us through things, whether that's individually or as a couple. And I guess now, like I said, from my experiences, my, my friendship group, you know, we're always really close. And, you know, to the point where we're probably checking with each other, maybe maybe too much sometimes. But it's a lot better to be that way than the other way. Veronica, how do you take care of yourself? I try to reach out to family and friends quite a bit. I've been a lot better about it. And I'm really fortunate. I was living in Belgium last year and was by myself a good amount of the time and unable to really be social. So moving to Girona has really helped me with that. I have friends that are not in the professional Peloton that have been kind of a saving grace. Um, it's easy to get sucked into the bubble here. And I think having had a life before cycling, working 7.30 to 4 every day, knowing what an office job is like, having gone to university. I think, yes, I love what I do. And yes, cycling is my career, but it's not my life. And I am trying to 
remind myself of that. So it's really nice to have dinners with friends and talk about things that are not at all bike related. And I think being able to switch on and switch off is really important for that mental health while still maintaining focus, especially during the season. But it's just some days I'll call my parents and say, you know what? I don't want to talk about bikes today. I have not been feeling great on the bike and I just want to hear how things are with you guys. And I think being able to, yeah, remove myself from, especially if I'm struggling on the bike and it's sort of not been the greatest training block or the greatest week on the bike, I'll try and, yeah, step away from it when I'm not on the bike. And yeah, I'll do things that are not <laughs> necessarily bike related. I like doing things that are productive off the bike. Owen, have you put in a lot of work to build a community outside of the Peloton and the sport? Yeah, and I think, like I said, through, through my friendship group mainly, like I said, it's, it's something which changed and shaped our lives massively. Sorry, but I'm struggling a bit here. No, just, just a cranky baby. I think maybe needs a nap. Same. But, I mean, this is also part of life you're trying to do a podcast at the same time as you're trying to parent and take care of your child which is your priority taking care of this beautiful little life here <laughs> how has parenthood kind of affected your mental health everything in life is perspective and the moment she came into my life my perspective completely changed where cycling was maybe the most important thing and maybe I was the most important thing in my own world but now I'm not anymore she is and I have to do everything I can to provide for her, to look after her, to make sure she's happy, which I feel like I'm doing a great job of at the minute. <laughs> but everything, yeah, everything changes so fast. With that come other pressures. You know, you ask yourself different questions. Am I good? Am I a good dad? Am I a good parent? Am I doing the right things? Does she get everything she needs from me? Does she have, am I there in, enough for her? You know, the pressures are, I think you'll always find mental pressures in your life, but they just shift and move as different events happen. So maybe less pressure on the bike, but more pressure in a different way of being a parent. It's interesting to hear you talk about this because I think often when we think of parents as athletes in society, we often tend to just assume that we're talking about the female athlete or the mother. And so it is actually really interesting and nice to get a father's perspective on, on what this is like, because you do travel so much of the year, you're away at races and training camps and all of these things. And you're a first-time parent, so how has that experience been for you this season? It's been hard, I'll be honest. I was really lucky, you know, to, to, this, to the extent some of my friends who have had children have, have missed the birth of their children, and that's not a normal thing to happen, you know? You know, to start with, I was really lucky that, yeah, I was here for her birth, and I was here for the first six weeks of her life, and then after that, I was back on the road and back racing, and I'd spend quite a lot of time away from her and my partner, who's also, you know, a first-time mum, doing it all as a single parent. It has been a challenge, but with most things in life, you kind of you find a way. You've both kind of mentioned community and, and the support you've gotten from other people. So Veronica, I was wondering, have you looked at the comments on the Finding Balance film? I did see a few of them. I haven't looked in quite some time. What I did see, it seemed like a lot of people were able to resonate quite a bit with what I had said, which I really am thankful for. And I think that's, 
honestly why I am, like I said, why I want to be open and honest. I mean, selfishly, it helps me get rid of what's going on in my head. But I think just knowing that I'm not alone also in the struggle and that those people are also aware that they're not alone in their struggles. Yeah, I think it's really important. And it allowed for a platform for people to maybe open up about, I mean, briefly open up about their struggles without feeling shame. So yeah, it was really nice what people had commented as well. Because you've both talked about loneliness. And I think in a lot of ways, the antidote to loneliness is community. And it doesn't have to be a thousand people. It can be just that one person that, you know, you can always talk to. And so I think it's just really, really powerful that you have both built these communities around you and that you have multiple communities, whether it's the Peloton and your teammates, whether it's sports psychologists, whether it's just friends and family or the people you've known forever, or just your child and, you know, thinking, oh, I've had a, you know, maybe a poor session out on the bike, but then you come home and you get to play with, get to play with your daughter and you kind of think, well, this is more important. This is more fun to me right now. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, guys. I think on that note, I'm actually going to have to shoot because she's really not happy. I'm going to have to put her down for a nap because otherwise she's just going to carry on screaming at me. No problem. We've got to take care of her mental health too. (laughs) Yeah, this is really the worst possible scheduling and timing from my front, but yeah, sorry, guys. No problem. Thanks for joining us, Owain. Thank you. All right. So let's go back, Veronica. You had mentioned that next season, you're kind of one of the things you're looking forward to is that you're anticipating not just feeling stressed and pressured all the time. So do you have some goals for next season or things you're looking forward to? I think, honestly, a big goal of mine is to hone in on the basics. I fell into the race theater role quite a bit last year. And with that, I didn't have the responsibility of going back for bottles or helping a teammate as a a worker or domestique. So I'd really like to be able to fulfill those roles this year and yeah, get some basic work done and be a reliable teammate in those roles. And I think off the bike too, I'm still trying to find that balance of, yeah, being incredibly dedicated, but also not so much so that I'm taking away from being human. I think I'll need to learn to prioritize those moments I'm able to switch off and what that'll look like and how I can take advantage of those moments to still gain something from it rather than just being, I mean, sometimes being a couch potato watching Netflix is really necessary, but there are also moments when I'm asked to go socialize and I'll say no sometimes feeling like I can't say I can go because I have to prioritize my training, but Ultimately, I would probably gain great memories and be a bit happier because I've been social in that moment. And maybe I sleep in a bit more the next day and maybe I'm a little tired on the bike the next day. But it's definitely something that I'll need to work on. And yeah, being able to prioritize different things. And then, I mean, there are definitely some races that are 
on the goal list. I think getting back to the Tour de France and finishing and performing well would be is definitely up there. And then a couple earlier races, but we'll see where I'm at. I think there's one competition in particular, though, in which you are generally incredibly strong and you tend to dominate. And that is, of course, Bananagrams. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I haven't played that since uh, we were at the tour with Tim. So I will say I have managed to beat you at Bananagrams, but it did take several rounds. And I did have an advantage in that I had two arms I could use, whereas you had one arm in a sling because <laughs> you had just broken your collarbone a few hours earlier. Yeah. So I feel like I haven't truly beaten you at Bananagrams because you were not performing to your typical level. So <laughs> look, I don't ride that often, but my off the bike goal is to beat you a healthy Veronica at Bananagrams. <laughs> and I goal. will say I'm a little nervous at this challenge I have set for myself. <laughs> a new routine I have in the morning is to always do that categories game on New York Times. And then I'll do the Wordle every day. And I feel like I have to do that every morning. So it gets my brain going. I always ask my parents to save crosswords for when I come home. I think last year when I came home, I started realizing that they would do crosswords every morning at the kitchen area. I was like, oh, I want to start doing these. And then I would do like the Monday one and really struggle. And then my mom would do it in five minutes. And I'm like, you're just, I mean, because they recycle the clues. I'm like, of course, this is just cheating. This isn't even, like, there's no strategy. You're not smarter because you're doing these crosswords. You just know. I have something to say to that effect. I don't think it's cheating, but I do think it's understanding a genre. And I say this as, as a teacher and as someone who, so I do spelling bee. That's my favorite New York Uh, Times game. I do spelling bee. And that is very much a genre. There are some words like the word tattoo was in yesterday's spelling bee and also in today's. And I don't think it makes me smarter or, and there are some words that like I had never heard before. And now I don't even necessarily know what it means, or I can't remember every time what it means, but I remember this word. And so that actually was a hindrance when we were playing bananagrams because for spelling bee words have to be at least four letters. And I remember when we were playing bananagrams, you were destroying me with these two and three letter words that then you could use to sprout other words off in all sorts of directions. And I remember saying, ah, you know, too many small words. And, <laughs> and it yeah, was one of those things that sounded funny. And it sounded like, was that supposed to be an insult? Which it obviously <laughs> was not. But you just said, I've just played this game a lot. I know, you know, you know, a lot of three letter words that start with the letter Q or something. And it's like, oh my goodness, there can't, pop. but you're like, no, no, that's a Chinese instrument from the 17th century and it's just like (laughs) oh my goodness and it's it's you've just you've learned that genre yeah I mean you'll never forget when your mom beats you at words with friends when she plays QI on the triple word you just listened to the explore podcast from EF Pro Cycling my name is Catherine Ezra this show was produced by Johannes Manson editing by Ben Cranel. music is by Builders T 
A special thank you to Veronica Ewers and Owen Duell. We'll be back soon with more stories from the road. Thank you for listening. 